We're, we're having a new series for the month of December, and it's called Awaken the, uh, the, the really the whole spirit of Christmas, but we're going to awaken the wonder of Christmas. Uh, there's so much. In fact, Isaiah said that his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and uh, one of the great Christmas time songs is walking in the winter wonderland. Well, we're going to walk in a winter wonderland all this month as we look at the wonder that, that the wonderful message of Christmas and the gospel that Jesus brought to us brings to all of us. It's going to be a great, great month. In fact, this month, uh, a couple of the pastors on staff are going to help me out, Pastor Reagan, Pastor Steve, the next few Sundays. And uh, it's just going, you don't want to miss a single Sunday. Everything's just going to be spectacular. Um, I, it's uh, some of the stuff they're going to do, you, you, you're just not going to believe it. Um, you'll have to be here to see it, okay? <laughs> well, let me start off today, sort of kick off this series by talking to you about the wonder of the promise. You know, for thousands of years before Jesus came, there was prophetic messages about his coming. In fact, to, to get an idea how far you'd have to go back, and, and let me just pose this question to you. How far back do you think you would have to go in Scripture to start finding uh, the message of the Savior that's coming to the world? Got any idea? Um, well, Let's do this. Let me take you to the Lord Jesus and hear what he has to say about the messages concerning himself. No one would know more about the Messiah than the Messiah himself. So I want to read an event that happened, and I'm, I'm going to read it to you out of the, uh, the merged gospels here. Uh, so it's not going to be on the screen, but just listen carefully as I read for the next few minutes. This happened, this event took place. Uh, it, it's called the Emmaus event. It took place on the day of the resurrection. Remember, uh, early in the morning, they discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead. This happened later in the day. In fact, I'll begin reading. Just, just listen carefully, if you will. Later that same day, in other words, the day of the resurrection, two of his disciples, Cleophas and another, were walking on the road to a village of Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Their main conversation was about the things that had happened to Jesus. Jesus himself caught up with them and started walking alongside. But his identity was hidden from their eyes, so they did not recognize him. Joining in the conversation, he asked, What are you talking about which makes you so sad? Cleophas answered, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that has not heard about the things that have happened in the recent days? Jesus answered, What things? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. He was a mighty prophet who did powerful miracles and was a wise teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We'd all hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. 
And today's the third day since these things were done. Then some of the women from our group of his followers were at the sepulcher early this morning and made an amazing discovery. They found that the body was missing and they saw angels who told them that he was alive. So some of the men who were with us in the group went to the sepulcher and found that it was true. His body was gone, just like the women said. Then Jesus said to them, You're witnesses to the fulfillment of Scripture, but you do not understand what you've seen. Can you really find it so hard to believe that the prophets have spoken all of this in the Scripture? Was it not clearly written that the Messiah had to suffer all these things in order to be able to enter into his glory? Then beginning with the writings of Moses and going through all of the prophets, Jesus explained in detail all of the scriptures written concerning himself as they walked on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. When they were about to enter into the village of Emmaus, he acted as though he would go further, but they besought him and said, you know, it's close to evening. Why don't you stay here with us? The day's almost gone. So he went home with them. And they sat down to eat a meal. Jesus took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to each of them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. At that very moment he vanished out of their sight. They explained to each other, didn't our hearts get all excited and burn within us while he talked with us on the road? The way he explained the scriptures makes so much sense. It makes me desire to hear more. Do you feel the same way too? Immediately they left and returned to Jerusalem to find the other disciples. What I want you to notice from that scripture is that Jesus said to, to, these, to these disciples who didn't understand what had just taken place, he said, if you want to read about me, you can go back to Moses and all of the prophets. Wow. How far back does that take you in scripture? How many of you know what books in the Bible Moses wrote? Are you familiar? He wrote the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so to find the very first promise of the Messiah, let me take you all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. You're, if, those of you that are familiar with Scripture, you know that this happened right after the fall. Man sinned. God put man in a perfect setup, Adam and Eve. They were placed in a beautiful garden. They communed with God every evening. God would come down in the cool of the day and talk with them. But Satan deceived Eve and got her to partake of the forbidden fruit. And she gave it to her husband, Adam, and he also partook. And suddenly they realized that they had sinned. Something was wrong. Something had severed the relationship between them and God. Sin's a horrible thing, folks. Sin's a horrible thing. In their rebellion, in their stubbornness, in their unwillingness to obey one simple command of God they brought sin not only upon themselves but upon the whole human race but let me tell you what I love about our heavenly father 
The moment sin entered, God was there with a promise. I'm not going to leave you without hope. God never leaves us without hope. Never, never, never. I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't, I don't know how many times the enemy may have spoken to you and told you that your situation is hopeless, but if anybody or if it's a spirit that you're listening to tells you that your situation is hopeless, just know this, that is a lie of the devil. It's straight out of the pit of hell. God never leaves us without hope. Amen? Give God praise for that. So the first promise comes immediately when there was sin. God said, I'm going to send somebody and said, in fact, and he's speaking, you know, Satan was speaking through that serpent. So he's speaking to that serpent. He said, in in fact, he's going to, he's going to, you're going to be under his feet. You're not going to rule and have dominion over my family. The very first promise. Now let's look at the first hope because I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but throughout the ages, When a male child was born, people who knew God and knew about God often thought, perhaps this is the Messiah. Here's the first one, chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, we read over that just a cursory reading and says, well, you know, they had their first baby and it's a boy. And a, 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 but if you read it in the original, it, it's not talking about I have just acquired a man from the Lord. I have acquired the man from the Lord. They thought, they thought the Savior was there in their firstborn. They thought that, that this must be it. We, we sinned that God said he'd send a Savior. Maybe this is it. But unfortunately, the story of Cain did not turn out so well you see a little bit later on they had another son they named his they named him Abel and Cain and Abel came to worship the Lord but Cain refused to worship the Lord after the program and the plan that God had given God had already shown them and communicated to them that it takes the shedding of blood to come before God and be clean and pure. Abel did that. He brought the firstborn from his flock. Cain ignored that. He said, I'll worship God like I please. And so he came with um, some vegetables from his garden. Must have been broccoli. Uh, I'm sorry, some of you like broccoli. Uh, But whatever it was, it defied the plan of God for worship from his human family. For you see, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sin. Sin was in the bloodline. That's why all of us were born into sin. It's in the bloodline. That's reading your children. You know, you know, we look at these beautiful babies when we dedicate and they look so innocent and they are, but there is something in the bloodline that's going to show up before too long. It doesn't take very long. Uh, I've told you many times, Dr. Billy Graham says, if you don't believe in the Adamic nature of sin, then tell me how a little child, before they can even talk, they can do something they're not supposed to do, and you can see them do it. 
And you can ask them, did you do that? And they'll say, (laughs) they can lie before they can talk. Why? Because there's sin in the bloodline. That has to be redeemed. That has to be forgiven. That's why we dedicate children to the Lord. We pray that God will help those children when they get to the age of accountability, when they begin to know right from wrong, that they'll have a hunger to come to God and give their lives to the Lord so they can take care of that thing because God has provided a way. Amen? So Cain, out of his anger and his jealousy, slew his brother. So Adam and Eve knew immediately Cain couldn't be the redeemer. And now Abel is gone. But then there's a second hope. Look at Genesis 4:25. And Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and named him Seth. Look at this. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. Another seed that, that, and, and again, this is in the original. Here, here's, here, this may be it. This may be the substitute. This may be the Savior that's to come into the world. Do you realize that for 4,000 years, man anticipated and looked for and expected a Savior to be born? When Jesus told those two guys on the road to Emmaus that that he had been prophesied about in the letters of Moses, first five books of the Bible, and all of the prophets. Can I say to you this morning that you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible? Every book of the Bible. Let me give you a rundown. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, he's the smitten rock. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet likened to Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host. In Judges, he's the great deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kingsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings, he's our promised king. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the heavenly descendant of David. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, he's our advocate. In Job, he's our everlasting redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our goal. In Song of Solomon, he's our satisfier. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the celestial cherubim. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger. In Habakkuk, he's the evangelist pleading for revival. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the restorer, the best heritage. In Zechariah, he's the fountain opened in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the Christ coming to seek and to save the lost. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the risen Christ working through men. In Romans, he's our justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's our 
our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God who supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. In Colossians, he's Christ the Father's right at the Father's right hand. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's a faithful pastor. In Philemon, he's the friend of the oppressed. In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's the Lord who comes to heal the sick. In First and Second Peter, he's the chief shepherd who shall appear. In First, Second, Third John, God is love, and Jesus is his name. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelations, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Christ can be found in every book of the Bible. The promise started way back there, and it continued for 4,000 years. There was 400 of what we call the silent years, those dark ages when there was not a prophet to be heard. And then suddenly the New Testament opens. And when John the Baptist was born, there were such unusual events around his birth until some thought he was the Messiah. In fact, some were so convinced that John was the Messiah, he had to tell them, no, 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 I'm not the one, but he's coming and he's mightier than I am. He, I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. I must decrease, but he's going to increase. Amen. This Lord and Savior Jesus, I pray that God will awaken the promise today in your heart of the Savior. Give him praise, if you will. Thank the Lord. The promise is wonderful as it comes from generation to generation, from one era to another era. But finally, 2,000 years ago, he came. But can I tell you this morning that as wonderful as the promise is, if it's only relegated to history, if, it, if all it means to you is that 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, in Bethlehem of Judea, a Savior was born, if that's all it means, then you've missed the point. The fact is, my friend, it's you and I who need a Savior. We're the ones that need a Savior. I, I, need, a, I need a Savior. You, you see, man has tried over and over and over again to save himself and you can't do it. You can't do it. Many religions have been established to try to help you with your need of salvation. But all of them are by works. They all set up a pattern, say, if you'll do this and do this and do this, then, then we'll get you there. <laughs> Some will even say, if you, if you live good enough, we can get you to a little better uh, standing in the next life. And eventually, eventually we'll get you there. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a fallacy. Wouldn't you hate to think that, that you're just trying as hard as you can to live good so maybe you can come back as a cow in the next life? Um, wouldn't that be awful? I, I heard one guy say, he said, you know, they, they've got me so uh, concerned about who I might be in the next life. To, I'm afraid to use a fly swatter, afraid I might kill my uncle. Um, you know, yeah. but, 
But all of these efforts of religion to save them, none of them work because you cannot live good enough. You cannot find a set of rules that are adequate enough to restore the relationship that sin has broken with our Heavenly Father. It, it's not what we can do, my friend. We, we tried that under the law. It's not what we can do. That's why God sent a Savior, because he saw that you and I were inadequate. And so he said, I'll take it on myself. And that's the golden text of the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent us a savior because we couldn't do it for ourselves. We couldn't live. The perfect sinless one died on the cross of Calvary. Not just so he can relegate a, be relegated to a place in history, but so you can have a personal relationship with God at New Hope on the first Sunday of December in 2017 because Jesus is alive and well and he's our Savior and our Lord. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 1 verses 23 to 25. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. And then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel Lord commanded him. And took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Say that name with me. Jesus. That word means Jehovah is salvation. God sent us salvation. Luke puts it this way. 2.11 of Luke for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We have a Savior because we need a Savior. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't live good enough to earn heaven. I couldn't keep enough rules to make me holy enough to come up to God's standard of holiness. And so Jesus came to this earth and took my place so that I could come to the Father not in the merits of my goodness, but in the merits of his goodness. That's why that name Jesus is so beautiful. That name is so wonderful because he is our Savior. That name is powerful. Folks, that name is powerful. In his name, hallelujah, in his name and through his name, there is salvation for all of us, for all of us that will come to the Lord and accept what he has done for us. If you love him, say amen. amen. I want you to stand with me, please. The promise is to you. The promise is to you. Make sure your neighbor gets it. Turn to your neighbor and say, the promise is to you. Promise is to you. A savior, by the way, in the Greek, that word salvation is interchangeable with the word deliverance. Same root word, they mean exactly the same thing. So when we talk about the salvation that God has sent to us, it, it, it's, all, it's deliverance. It's deliverance from sin, but it doesn't just stop there. Any kind of bondage that one may have, he, he, he is the Savior. He's the deliverer. 
He's our hope for it. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I'm here to tell you that the promise is to you. You have a deliverer this morning that can set you free. Praise God. He can set you free. If you've got an addiction today, come to the Savior. He can set you free. If you're struggling with some kind of problem out of your past, bring it to Jesus today. He can set you free. He can set you free from sin. He can set you free from from, uh, sorrow. He can set you free from pain. He can set you free from addiction. He can set you free from guilt. Amen. He can set you free from from, from, uh, low self-esteem. He can set you free from all all kinds of bondages. He can can set you free spiritually. He can set you free mentally and emotionally. He can set you free physically. He can set you free financially. Praise God. He's our deliverer. He's our salvation. The promise is to you. The promise is to you. The promise is to you. I want our prayer team to come. And we want to give you an opportunity today to come to the Lord with whatever need you may have, whatever difficulty, whatever problem. If you're unsaved, we would encourage you today on this first Sunday of December as we awaken, attempt to awaken by the help of the Lord, the promise of God for you that you will come to the Lord and receive salvation for your sins. Let the Lord wash them away. That's why works is not enough. You see, you need your name written on the Lamb's book of life. You need your sins done away with, not just covered up, but eradicated, washed away, forever gone, never to be remembered against you on that day. Praise the Lord. Somebody may come accuse you of your past, but as far as God's concerned, that past is gone once it's been washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen. It doesn't exist anymore. A Savior, if you're away from God, come on back home. Come to the Lord. Whatever you need today, if you need healing for your body, he took stripes on his back that he might heal us. There's victory in Jesus. Whatever you need. There are people here that will be glad to pray with you and for you. If you want somebody to just join in faith and stand with you, we'll be glad to do that. Or maybe you just want to come and find a place, just you and God, to talk to him. But I want to tell you today, the promise has come to pass. We celebrate it every year on December the 25th. The Savior, salvation, deliverance, freedom, victory, whatever you need. Pastor Steve's going to lead us and sing a song and sing along with him, if you will. But if you, if you need to pray about anything, just find your way to the nearest aisle and come on down. Take a few minutes before you leave today to talk to the Lord. Or if you need somebody to pray with you and for you, great things happen in these few minutes at the altar when we take time to just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. It's you and me. And he'll renew and connect that spiritual connection that comes to you because Jesus gave his life. God bless you as you pray.